Hey, this is Paul and James from Reflections of Service. We're here to talk about software development and entrepreneurship. And every once in a while, we talk a little bit about testing too. Yes. James, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, it seems like it's been such a long time. Since, since we last talked. Since we last talked. That's so funny. See, people don't know why that's funny though. Yeah. Because well, we just finished recording the last recorded. episode. <laughs> so these so are what are we going to talk about tonight, Paul? Well, so two different things. One is about software development like we usually do. And one is about entrepreneurship like, like we do. We've had a whole bunch of guests recently on the show. We have. So we're having a couple episodes where it's just you and I. And we get back to kind of reflecting on, on things. That as, is the name of the, the podcast. Name. Yes, it is part of the podcast name. So... Um, so the first thing is, is it necessary to change companies as a software engineer in order to grow your career and to, to move on? Is that necessary? So that's going to be the first subject. And then the second subject, we're going to talk about positioning of our businesses yep. and size and how size matters with regards to positioning. Does that sound like I'm framing it? That sounds about right. Okay. Cool. So once again, I'm Paul Merrill, and I'm from Beaufort Fairmont Automated Testing Services, and we're here to rid the world of bad code. We do that through automated testing. Give us a yell sometime if you want our help. And I'm James Jeffers, and I have a software consultancy called Code Provenance, and I'm kind of in the process of trying to figure out exactly who my best customers are. So that'll change over time. Uh, but for right now, uh, mostly been doing web development for folks, but I might get far more specialized in the coming weeks. Cool. And we'll talk a little bit about that towards the end. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, is there anything you want to bring up that's been going on lately before we get started? I mean, uh, we had Memorial Day recently, a few weeks ago. Did you guys, did you capitalize on that, that day off? Did you work? Or, or I worked, the family or which is kind of sad. Yeah. And one of the things that I want to change in the next few months, uh, time management and what I'm doing with my time. And we'll, we'll get into some of that towards okay. the end. But yeah, I mean... I didn't like the fact that I had to work on some of these projects um, when I, I really should have been spending time with my family, kind of cooperating with them. So Yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to talking about that because I have some of the, the same stuff like now. It, it feels like I'm working like crazy. And uh, I still spend a lot of time with my family, and I love spending time with my family. But um, sometimes it's like I, this is not sustainable. <laughs> you know, and you have to figure out how are you going to sustain this or what are you like going to Like the level of work? Yes. Delegation versus abdication? No, well, that's, that's not how I thought about that in the last podcast. But um, yeah, I mean, delegation is going to have to be a part of it as a move forward. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about, so when, when you're in your career as a software engineer, I know that for myself, I felt like I needed to change jobs for several reasons. One of those reasons was to learn new technologies. Yep. One of those reasons was to learn new ways of doing things and learn more from different people around me. And then another was because you get laid off every once in a while. I could, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'll throw another one on there. And it was simply a matter of uh, salary growth. Yes. And so the, the sad fact of the matter was that the only sure way to bump your salary 10 to 20% every couple of years was to simply move to a new job. That's right. And there's probably a lot of different reasons for doing that. But I think, are we talking specifically about personal growth? Or are we just talking about the reasons for why you would want to change companies? Well, I think we can leave it open. I mean, I, I, to me, the question came up because I've been looking at a lot of different people's careers. So I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn lately looking at uh, different people and where they are in their current career, what 
I believe they're trying to accomplish or what it appears they're trying to accomplish. And then what do they do in order to get there? And so one thing that that's clear is that there are certain people who have one or two jobs over 15 years or 20 years. And then there are people who have 15 jobs over 15 years. Um, and I, and I know for myself, I liked to change and I know why I liked it, but I just wonder, is it necessary? Do you have to change jobs in order to, 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 to grow? I, I think the answer is no, but I think that's probably dependent on what kind of company you work for. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're working in a much smaller company and you don't have the autonomy to kind of create the position that you, that you want to build, you're going to have to change because the company probably won't be able to support you doing a lot of different things. Now, if they have a lot of trust and faith in you. And they're willing to let you sort of define your own position and let you grow into that position that uh, you're really lucky, right? Because I think you kind of combine the best of both worlds. Um, but I've, I've worked at companies that were, you know, super large corporations. And so the opportunity to move around within the company was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and you're going to get exposed to all different things and all different ideas because you've got so many different types of people there. Right. In, right. in a large company. If you're in a small company, you might be very homogenous. Right. And I think there are some really large corporations, though, that are very um, calcified. In other words, once you go in as a programmer, it is very difficult for you to break out and do anything else. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And you'll be, you kind of, and you can kind of tell. You can look around and say, these people have not moved from, like, they've been rooted in here. And it could be because they just really like you, or it could be that they just weren't allowed, not allowed to leave. Yeah. And so, which is a shame because I know there's probably a lot of companies where people kind of feel trapped and rather than give these people an opportunity to do something else, people just come to the conclusion that I just need to go work someplace else. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't know that they're being limited by their managers. Sometimes there, there are plenty of times where someone does not actively work for you to move into a new position or to move on to a new team. And that's something that sounds very political. Um, and maybe it is, I don't know, but there are lots of reasons why that might happen. And sometimes they're not always obvious, but I know for, for myself, when I've been in the position of a, a leader for teams and doing it now for people, the few people that, that work for me at Beaufort Fairmont, I, if someone wants to leave and do another job, if they want to go somewhere else and do it, that's cool. I want them to do that because I want them to be happy. I would much rather find a way that they can do what they want to do within this company if they're of value to us. And right now everybody is. Yeah. Um, but if that's what they need, then I would rather be able to say, okay, go do it and let's keep everything cool between us. And if you ever want to come back, the door's open, you know, because that's better for them if they need to grow and they need to explore that and find out what sometimes people just need a reference point. But there are plenty of managers and people out there who won't do that. People will say, um, they want to keep that individual on their team because they're really good at what they do and they make the, the boss look good or something. Yeah. Um, or they're just insecure and don't want to, don't know what might happen. Maybe they won't get that wreck filled when the person leaves, right? Oh yeah. Maybe yeah. Their empire will, will crumble. Well, Fiefton building is, it's not, uh, it's not unknown. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, you have managers that, you know, their, their, their own sort of net worth in the company is based on how many people are underneath them in an yeah. organization. And so it doesn't look great when people are like, I want to go off and do something else and go and, you know, <laughs> either go to a different company or go to a different uh, department. Yeah. It kind of seems like it's disloyalty 
to that that higher up. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say. like. I think if you're just starting out in your career, sometimes it's hard to tell what kind of situation you're going to get into. Oh, it's hard to tell what situation you're in. Really. Right. <laughs> but but I think that's why it's really important to, to develop a community of people that are kind of like you. In, the, in terms of like their career maturity yeah, and kind of get a sense from other people like what's it like working in other places and also you know reaching out to people that are maybe a couple years ahead of you and saying it's the kind of situation I am I kind of feel like I'm stagnating a little bit what can I do to change it yeah, uh, and even asking people that are in the same company as you and saying you know hey I'm doing this job now I know I'm good at it and I enjoy it but I kind of feel like I want to do something a little bit different and see what they say. If they come back and tell you, like, no, this is not, this is not the place for that, then you know, okay, yeah. I, I'm probably am going to stagnate here. Yeah. But maybe they'll come back and say, oh, you should go talk to so and so in sales engineering. Like, they they really love to have somebody like you, right. and that could open up a whole new career path for you. I yeah. think so. I guess a lot of this really depends on where are you working. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, I guess part of this was wondering, are you going to stagnate if you don't move? if you don't change companies. And I think we, we kind of talked through that. I know for myself, just the, the different people that I worked with at each place and being willing to learn from the different people at different places was huge. Uh, it doesn't take me that long or hasn't taken me that long to kind of get a sense of how somebody works and how they think uh, and what I'm going to get in the future from them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so for me, it was... I, I felt like I could accumulate those very quickly. There, the people that I most enjoyed being with were the ones like yourself, and, and I feel like I am, where we're both growing and we're both or we're both working towards growth, and we can kind of keep each other fresh because of that. That kind of relationship really helps me, and um, is, is something that I that I enjoy. Was were you thinking about this because of somebody you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, several people. I, I just, I've, I thought about it recently that there are certain people, and, and I hate to say that because I don't want people on the podcast thinking this is somebody, they're talking about me. If you think <laughs> that, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> um, the person that I'm, the people that I'm thinking about would not in a million years listen to this, this podcast. So it sounds like we're not, we're not necessarily, like it's not a, it's not a hard fast rule that you have to change companies to grow. It could be that either you can move around in the company that you're in but even if you're in the same job you can still manage your own career and provide give yourself opportunities to develop new skills um, what is it our our uh, patron saint of PHP Cal Evans said your first job is to manage your own career right, right. and right. so I think that's probably the best advice you could probably give to someone who's starting out you know, it wasn't apparent to me that that was the case until a couple of layoffs, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, uh, they're not just here to take care of me. Um, but, you know, thinking about where do you want to be in a couple of years and what kind of skills that you want to develop. If I had just sat there and stayed doing C++, I probably would still be employed doing it. Um, but, like, I made a real conscious choice that I wanted to learn something totally different, web development, and a completely different language, Ruby. And now, years later, it's kind of how I pay the bills. Well, and now you're doing it again with the Elixir and other things that you're trying, right? Yes. And and even more so like developing a consultancy where I'm not the person who's doing all the technical work necessarily. And But we'll talk about that in a few okay. minutes, I'm sure. <laughs> um, 
So, well, I'm the same way though. And, and one of the things that I, that I noticed is that there are people who are very different from me, people who are very status quo. They want to keep things the way they are. They're very happy working in C++, like you mentioned, and they're going to do that for the rest of their career. They've already done it for 20 years or 30 years or 10 years or whatever it is. Yeah. And they feel like they can ride that out. Um, if you look at, for instance, all the banks right now wanting to transition over to new technologies or government um, technology, uh, the, the state of government technology at the federal level, especially right now, it sounds like you can get you can write your own check if you know COBOL, right? I didn't know that. It sounds like if you know COBOL, you can write your own. Is that check. because all the database, the federal databases are written for the like banks? There's still a lot of them are still in COBOL and those kinds of things. Interesting. I would imagine the same thing would be true for Fortran with certain mathematics, maybe in banks or, or something. But um, th those kinds of things are true, and there are people who are going to make their career in that, and they don't feel the need to grow. Any, anymore yeah. and that's okay for them for me personally when I'm working when for me personally it's very important to, to grow and to change and to learn things over time and so the cross-pollination of ideas the learning from different people is very important for me so uh, now you know like we've been ex just gave examples where you can teach yourself a new language or a new business domain um, those are like two ways you can kind of grow technically can you also grow technically? Like, can you think of a third example? So oh, we yeah. yeah. So like the, all these conferences that I, that I talked about on the last episode, yeah. going to conferences and you don't have to go to a lot of them, but just even one a year going to a conference in a specific subject that you want to learn more about, go out there and learn from the people who are the experts in the industry, hear different people's ideas and listen to them. It does, you don't have to accept them. You don't have to try them but just listen to them and put them somewhere in your head so that later on you can come back and at least refer back to it. Uh, conferences are a great way. Reading is another way. I mean, there are lots of ways to do that. Do, yeah. Does that, I think teaching is a good way too. Yeah. That's, that's actually a really good point. If you really want to know how well you know something, try to teach it to a beginner. Yeah. 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 And we've talked about that some, we talked about that with Brian Goad a few episodes ago. Um, and then our, let's, yeah, let's move on. It, are you, I feel like we. Well, you had one more question about what does it do to your network if you're the only one in, oh, if you're only in one company. Oh yeah. Um. So you're like saying if you if you stay in one company, are you kind of limiting the people you know? I, is that what you're saying? You worked at IBM, right? I did. Okay. So I'm just going to throw this out there, and it's a horrible stereotype, I'm sure, of all IBMers. <laughs> all of you people can from IBM can come back and. Angry tweet. Me, That's D. That Paul is. Merrill at <laughs> at D. Paul Merrill on Twitter. Um, my impression of IBM is that lots of people create their network within IBM and don't go outside of it. I think I think there's some truth to that. I think I kind of I kind of saw IBM in some ways as like the Librea tar pits of the tech world. But no, people would. And it's like a bank. You would go there to die. Uh, I mean, there's lots of foliage for you to munch on. And, you know, back in the day, I think one guy was telling me when he joined IBM in the early 70s, first day on the job, his manager walked up, shook his hand and said, congratulations, you have a job for life. <laughs> now, you know, fast forward to the early 2000s, that wasn't necessarily the case. But at the time, that's really what it, what it was about. Uh, and I, so there's a really tight-knit alumni of people that kind of grew up with that cohort at IBM. Um, and they really didn't need to cultivate contacts outside of that. But I think there were also a lot of people that were on IBM that left. 
And so they went off and sort of cross-pollinated a bunch of different companies. Um, so when you're in a company for a very long time and everybody knows you, uh, I think I saw this in the companies that I joined after IBM, that I kept seeing people who would talk about people that I had met at a previous company. And then I'd work with that person again at another company after that. And yeah. you'd be like, did you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, we worked together at, at this other... And so, like I said, cross-pollination is definitely a thing. Um, I think it helps you learn more about people you don't know, too, and people you haven't worked with. That's one of the things that I've found lately. I don't know if you've like seen if, this. Like if you, if you have contacts with their networks? Yeah, like, for instance, your thirds on, on LinkedIn. Yeah, so okay. You, you have no direct connection, but you hear about them a lot from yep. the people in your network. And so you share a lot of people in, in common, maybe your seconds, but you share a lot of people in common. And then you hear something from one of your contacts and you're like, yeah, but I can't trust what he says. <laughs> <laughs> or, oh, yeah, and I love the way they think. And that, that's exact. That's probably a, a very true statement. I yeah. think that's important for, for, I think that's an important part of networking and an important part of understanding the people around you and the context that you're working in and the context that others are working in and kind of, Understanding how where you should be and how different places line up with your values and and things like that. Yeah, so I don't think it's necessarily a death sentence if you're in the same company. It no. kind of depends on the quality and size of the network of people you're working with because they they may not stay, and and they they're definitely going to know people outside of the company unless you're working for like some compound in Utah. Oh yeah, uh, where you know it's like you never leave, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's. That's are your, you talking about sister wives now? I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm just saying uh, the chances are, even if you're working in the same company, that people, someone's going to know somebody outside the company. And if you're a person of high quality and uh, people like enjoy working with you, like that, that's going to people are going to learn that eventually about you. Yeah. So yeah. if Absolutely. you're in that situation, I would not sweat that too much. Just, just like I said, manage your career and become you know the highest quality person you can given what what like you said the context that you find yourself in yeah i think that wraps it up nicely so the second thing we were going to talk about was positioning mm. with our with our companies or, or with companies and yes. building companies so i think the last episode I talked about coaching and so one of the things the coaches challenged me about is figuring out uh what are my who are my best customers and then you know we're going to develop a marketing plan around that and so that's sort of like a very strategic level uh, approach. But from a more tactical level, uh, I've been thinking about what kind of work I've enjoyed or not enjoyed. And so one of the things I figured out was uh, in an epiphany of I don't have enough time to do everything that I want to do. I thought, there's no reason I have to write all of this test code myself. I could find someone else to write it. And in fact, that might be a really smart idea because... <coughs> Okay, so and then I was, so I thought about that, and I actually contacted a buddy of mine who's going to put me in touch with some, I don't know, some guys in Bulgaria or something really scary. And so I've been talking to him about how that might work. And then I thought, wait a minute, I think I know a guy who actually has an automated software testing company. Uh, and then I thought, well, why didn't I think of of you first, Paul? And then I re then I realized the reason I didn't, or I might have pushed that in my head, was because my perception was that that Bover Fairmont. Uh, is really aimed at much larger fish than the product I had. And so I kind of felt like my job was too small. And so I didn't know if that, like, is that accurate? Is that, is that true? But I mean, the point was that like the, my perception of somebody else's positioning and their, their specific marketing focus, like that made, that for me was like an immediate filter on doing business with them. Yeah. 
Well, so part of this is totally my mistake and learning through experience. Um, I think that I have been trying to position Beaufort Fairmont as something much bigger than it actually is for a long time. We're a small company. We're, we're learning, we're growing, and we, we want to make huge strides. We want to help our customers in very, very big ways. And we do make a huge impact, I think, in proportion to the amount that companies invest in us. Um, and the numbers show that. I personally started pushing for Beaufort Fairmont to look bigger than it was. And I looked for deals that were bigger than, than small little things um, recently. And the, the reason that I was doing that was because I wanted the company to grow. And I felt like unless we went after bigger fish, then that was not going to happen. Yeah. But what I'm learning is, yes, there, sometimes there are deals that are too small or too costly. Um, but having one more brand on your website to, to, to back you up, one more endorsement from, from one VP or director of software engineering is incredibly valuable. So we've, and how do you develop clients over time is the other part of this. And one of the things that I didn't realize is that until recently, and this was due in large part to the coaching that I've been doing is, or getting as well, the, the yeah. mentorship that I've been getting, um, is just that you have to start somewhere with these clients. And a lot of times they don't want to jump in head first. They want to jump, put a toe into the water and feel, is it warm or not? Yeah. And so having smaller opportunities gives them the opportunity to, to do some business with you and find out if they like you. So our newest offering is a live uh, workshop. Did we talk about this at all? No. Well, I know that you've, you've, um, you recently had an engagement where it, there, you didn't write any code. Yeah. We haven't written a line of code for it. And the, the whole, the whole thing is I, well, and we, the, I want, I want, my customers, my clients to get the absolute most out of me and out of Beaufort Fairmont that they can. Yeah. And I, I want to help them in every possible way that I can. That comes from experience. It doesn't come from writing code. So I'm trying to reposition things in such a way that we're selling experience rather than selling hours or, or whatever, because I believe that we create much more value for our customers in doing that. So one way to do that is this this new live uh, workshop where we'll sit down for a couple hours. You can bring whoever you want to the live workshop and there's no preparation on my end. And you can just drain me of all the information that you want or drain my team of, of every everything that you want. It doesn't matter what it is, we're not gonna hold anything back. Like what would they what would they come So for instance, let's say that you let's say that you wanted to discuss tool selection, right? So they want we want to talk about the merits of robot framework versus cucumber for a test case driver mm -hmm. or we want to talk about whether or not gauge the new uh open source test driver from thoughtworks is actually going to go past the beta stage and how it's going to work with things or what language should we use or what um we're in the situation where we have five percent of our tests are flaky all the time can we discuss why or we haven't set up all of our environments are slightly different for our testing. And we have different results in each of those environments. Why is it? Those kinds of things. Any, any question that you would have related to automated testing, um, we're, provided we feel like we can answer it or give you some experience on it, that's what we'll be happy to share with you. If, if we have no experience, we're just gonna say, sorry, we can't we can't do that. So, but but it, it gives a nice little warm up period and then we can, we can work together to figure out what's next. If there is anything, and if there's not, that's fine too. So that's like the first few steps into the pool. Yeah. For people, if they want to take a swim, 
in the Beaufort Fairmont cement pond. <laughs> this is how they this is how they start, right? They're going into the shallow end and they're kind of testing out the waters and saying, "Oh, okay, I don't have to commit to a $30,000 project." Right. Up front. I can I can get a few hours of your time. We can have some conversations. We're going to get some value out of it. Yeah, and of course we do free consultations with with anybody anyway for, you know, 30 minutes or whatever. Um, just to, to figure out what the project is or, or whatnot, to learn a little bit about each other. Because there are people that, um, just like we're not going to be a good fit as a vendor in some cases, there are clients who are not going to be a good fit for us. But I'd much rather have that conversation and determine it for free for 30 minutes first rather than not have it and not know. So I really appreciate you thinking about us eventually. And I want to hear more about the project. I learned, my, I learned <laughs> well, I think that was a part of the learning process of, and I talked to my wife about this. I said, I said, honestly, I really hated doing these particular parts of this project and then I realized probably because I didn't enjoy it I probably didn't do a good a job yeah. as I thought I could have and so I realized I in fact the same day I was having this sort of griping session to my wife I realized on Twitter someone actually had a Twitter ad about doing the exact thing that I did not like yeah. and I was like well, that's serendipity, right? Like, I wish I could have seen an ad. I would have clicked on it and said, tell me more. I mean, I did eventually, and it said, it was kind of scary. It's like when you go to a restaurant and they don't list the prices, and you're like, if I have to ask, that probably means I can't afford it. That's a good point, though. Uh, but I did, so there, I think their, their marketing said, um, call us for a price quote. And given the work that it would be, it kind of makes sense because it could vary, right? I mean... It's, it's like they have no idea ahead of time what kind of work you're going to throw at them. It's kind of a rough category of work. So, um, but I thought, mm, you know, next time I do this, um, I'll either do one of two things. I'll probably aggressively filter out people that are in this situation that require a lot of this preliminary work um, to get to the stuff that I, I'm a lot better at. Uh, and Or I will partner with somebody else and say, this person's going to handle this part. There will be a trade-off at some point. Um, but basically, I'm I'm not going to be handling that part. I'll coordinate it for you. I'll make sure that it looks good on, on you know coming into the part that I'm going to handle. But it's not necessarily something that I have to do. And so for me, it's been a really uh, it's a big challenge. Like we talked last time about it being a team lead, abdicating responsibility for specific tasks. Um, now I feel like I want to abdicate certain kinds of work because honestly, it's probably not worth my time doing it anymore well and to me one of the things i was bringing up was abdication versus delegation yeah. and to me if you're responsible for something you need to delegate if you don't want to be responsible for it if you are not responsible for it then you can abdicate completely handing it off have i got the definitions right on that when i think of abdication i think of um i think of like shunning or like well turning was, away from like when a when a king abdicates the throne he basically says I don't want it anymore, yeah. as opposed to being deposed by an angry mom of peasants. Right. Uh, they're just kind of willingly saying, I don't really want to, like, I'm giving up the throne. Um, maybe there, there's some external pressure to, to get rid of it, but uh, you're basically saying, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to, to carry this burden anymore, whereas delegation is, ultimately I'm responsible, but I'm going to give that task to another person, another contractor. And to be honest, I'm not, I don't have a lot of experience hiring a contractor and then kind of figuring out are they going to do the job correctly or not. Yeah. And actually, to be honest, that's kind of terrifying because I, <laughs> I work with a lot of people who completely mismanage projects that I was on as a contractor. And like, and I, I know how much money they spent on me. And it's like, if that's not well handled, 
I can see tens of thousands of dollars a month just being raked into a pile and then set a fire. And it's like, I don't, that's my money. I don't want that being wasted. So to me, it was like, but maybe this is a necessary terror, right? Like you have to get good at that if you want to be able to turn around and say, I don't do this kind of work. I know somebody who does and I'm just going to partner with them and we're going to, we're going to go on from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is the opportunity is yours. And nobody else has that opportunity at this point. Like whatever those opportunities are, they're yours. And you can hand it off to somebody completely and put them in touch if you just don't want to bother with it. Right. But if you want to make a few percent on it, it's yours to make if you bring somebody else into it. And that's part of the deal. You know, I mean, that's just how it works. Right. Because I, I think like ultimately the customer, the reason they're hiring you is because they're like, we don't know how to do this. Right? right, that's not something. I mean, I have. That's the same thing you're doing, or you're either you don't know how to do it, or you don't want to do it. Right, and I think for most of my clients, they there's no, they don't have the technical. They have to hire somebody else. That's not their thing. Um, but not only for the technical work, but if you're going to reach out and have other people do the work, like there is expertise in coordinating that and making sure that there is a standard of work. Yes, and that the outcomes are going to make sense, and yeah. that you're just not going to get you know, 10,000 lines of, you know, there's, yeah, you, you need to make sure the, yeah, exactly. The product is what you want if your name is on it, but yeah. then there's another side to it, which is, um, the people that you work with, are they going to do something that screws up your relationship with the client? You know, like you have to make sure that all the pieces are in place and this is somebody that you absolutely trust with this because right. it's important. Yeah. So, um, Trying to relate this back to the idea about positioning. Oh, sorry. Well, no, I, feel like, I mean, it's, I feel like we got way off. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, sometimes you got to take a diversion down that dirt track. Uh, but I thought about you know either either you want to take on the work and if you don't, um, how you position yourself. Uh, you can selectively filter out companies that or other or opportunities. You're like, this is not a great fit. So if I take on a, a an opportunity that's not a great fit. You're essentially saying no, potentially, to a, one that is a great fit. Yeah, and it, this was just on the art of value. Did you hear that episode when the the, the which the uh, guest was talking about this? Which one? I don't know which one? one was, but the, we may have to look it up. Um, but there was a guest on that was a software developer, and they were saying that they had a client who was just not an A client. They were, yes, they were a C client, and mm. every time that they went to talk to new clients, they couldn't take them on because they were committed to doing work for the C client. Right, yeah. And there were more problems to it than just that. And The Art of Value is a really good podcast. By one, the, one of the best. Yeah. The, you know, the, the other one that I wanted to mention was um, Developer on Fire. Have you listened to that? I don't think I've heard that one. Well, they talk about Uncle Bob every single episode. I have not heard an episode yet when they talked about it. And you talked about him last episode. Now I've talked about him once. So we've got a string of two going. And I don't even know who the guy is. Like, you know, <laughs> Uncle you, Bob Martin? I, I got to read some books or something. I guess oh, yeah. I need to get schooled here. He actually but. has a, a video series uh, about clean coders. Oh, cool. And I think like the first few are free, but after that you pay. But it's... They're pretty good. Cool. But I guess getting getting back to things, this guy on the Art of Value was talking about that being a problem with having to turn down new clients. But also he had the issue of if you have a client who's not good, you're not going to use them as a reference for anything. You don't want to meet their friends because their friends are going to be just like them. Right. You don't. I mean, what the only thing that they can do is hurt you. 
and yet you're sticking around with a with a bad client. And it's I, like it's like that no good girlfriend in high school, you know, you're talking about. And it's like she was bad news, and she's like, well, she's got her a circle of friends. I don't want I don't want to dip into that Cheeto bowl either, you know. It's like I want to. I want to move on. Let's up our game here. Right. <laughs> yeah, so that's what this guy was saying was that he only took A-ranked clients now. And that sounds like what you're trying to do. I think we talked about this before, like the velvet rope policy. Yeah. Like you want to qualify some of your clients and it's not just arbitrary. Like you're actually looking for characteristics. You're like, you're not a great fit for me. I mean, I'll probably tell them, I'm not a great fit for you. You're not a great fit for me. Here's somebody who I would recommend. They're going to take on your work. So yeah. just not leaving them in the cold. Yeah. Because I definitely don't want someone to say, well, that guy wouldn't help me at all. Yeah. I'd rather than say, like, yeah, it didn't work out, but he turned me on to this other guy who didn't work out great. Well, there are a lot of ways you can say it, too. You don't, don't just say, hey, you... You, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would ever phrase it that way, but... Yeah. Uh, um, I know that I had a little test for that with projects. You remember the... The, the suckers project we've probably talked about before where I think every software engineer gets it working in a decently sized company where somebody who's usually a project manager comes up or pro- product manager comes up and he's like, I have this great idea. All mm-hmm. I need is for you to code the whole thing. Yeah. And when you're done and we're profitable, we'll give you a portion of the company at that point. Yeah. No. And you're like, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm the business guy. I have all the ideas. I, it's my idea, whatever. Yeah. Um, I have tests for those now, and the test that I use is write me a paragraph about your idea. And if they can't write one paragraph about that idea, there's no way we're ever going to work together because I won't be able to get anything out of their head, number one. Number two, they won't even spend the time to write one paragraph on it. What are they really going to do in being the business guy or the businesswoman or whatever it is? So it's this, I think it's the same thing with clients. You develop those tests as you go along to figure yeah. out. And I, I'm trying to learn what those are and how to do them, but. I think I think the art of value also talks about uh, almost talk, trying to talk to customer out of hiring you, just to see if it's going to be a good fit or not. Oh, interesting. Right? And, and there's probably some psychological uh, effects at play there, right? Like if you're if you're kind of almost in a sense rejecting the client out of hand, like they're going to try to qualify themselves to you. Well, of course you'd want to take on this product. Here's all the reasons why it's so great. Right. <laughs> right. But at the same time, I think it's important because if the, if the customer's not going to fight to want to want to work with you, that may be an indicator that uh, maybe they don't think too highly of you in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to negotiating everything else about it, it could go not the way that you think it should go. I'm not sure if we focused on what you wanted to focus on here. This sounds a lot like we're talking about how we about the mechanism for engaging clients. Positioning feels different to me. Well, I guess I guess positioning in this in the sense that it will determine which clients you're you're going to be filtering out, right? But positioning to me is like at the high level like you were saying maybe this project is too small for both for Fairmont. Well, that's right. because I put some image out there that yeah. says we only want giant projects for some reason, right? Right. So what that's the positioning in my mind is whatever that is. So what are, what are, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> I don't know that you were doing anything wrong. Like to me, I wasn't. I it only occurred to me after the fact that like I didn't know if that was a deliberate strategy or that was a misconception on my part. But but if that's what you conceived it as, then that matters a lot in terms of how we how we position the company and what we're well, doing. Well, let me ask you as the owner of Buffer Fairmont. I mean, was that intentional? I mean, a part of it was originally. Yeah, I, th- I think some of it has been, and I think only recently I'm trying to to change things a little bit only really in the last couple months 
And um, one of the things in terms of size of projects was getting paid, frankly, just to be perfectly frank. Um, I wanted larger projects because my experience has been if a project isn't above a certain threshold, it's incredibly difficult to get paid. Um, you sit, you sit there and you, you end up spending so much time arguing with or trying to get accounts payable to give you attention and to do something. And I know I, people close to me have been in accounting and <laughs> the, those folks have told me very clearly that with large organizations, if your invoice is small, they're going to push it to the bottom of the stack for as long as they can. And if your company is small, they're not going to pay you until they absolutely have to. Um, and every single company out there of a certain size tries to get to the point in the United States, at least where they're stretching out their payables for as long as they can. Yeah. And they're pulling in their receivables as, as far as they cash can. flow. So that creates more cash flow for them. And that means that the little guy gets pushed out. So that's what I've been trying to avoid in a lot of ways. However, if you sit down and you create a small deal and it's payment up front, who cares? It, it's that's all worked out. Yeah. And then so that that's what's worked out for me. And even using things as easy as PayPal and um, Harvest and things like that to, to get paid have helped. Yeah, I, and I found that like I the last couple of deals that I've done, I've kind of told them um, it's you pay up front or you pay half up front and half thirty days later. If but if you choose to pay up front, I'm I'm giving you a discount. A small discount, but a discount nonetheless. Oh, and by the way, everybody's picked the pay up front with the small discount. Yeah. No one has, which is surprising to me. I'm always like, huh, like, like I guess, like just the notion it's not that you're money. And you know, sorry, maybe for you it is. Well, yeah. that's why I'm charging on it. But like <laughs> the fact that they would go for that discount, and it's you know, I think at the end of the day, it only it's only a few hundred bucks. But to them, it was like, it's like you know, someone who gold. Yeah, it was like gold. Uh, I. But again, you know, that goes back to the whole, I had no idea. Like, how, how little do I know about this? Yeah. Well, a lot because I'm constantly surprised by what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Well, and then the other part of it, the, the other side of that is a discount for someone paying in advance of your terms. So, like, if mm -hmm. you have terms of net 45 or net 60 and you say, well, you pay in advance of net 60, you get a 5% discount. What tends to happen from my experience and from what I've learned in other, other ways is that they'll still write the check on the, the 45th day or the 60th day and put it in the mail and they won't include the other 5%. They'll give themselves the discount um, and you don't get the check until it comes in the mail 10 days later or whatever. So, so those can be really hard to enforce. And then what do you do? You put it on their next bill and they're like, but I mailed it. So now you're arguing with accounts payable. Like yeah. that's not how you want to spend your time. So, yeah. Anyway, so we were going to talk about positioning. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that was kind of just the lead in. I mean, it, it was kind of, it was just an interesting phenomenon. And it was a thought that I had thinking about how I was going to not make the same mistakes on the next project. How are you, how are you going to position things differently? I mean, and we talked a little bit about engaging customers and how to decide if a customer is good. Um, that's really like validating customers to me. How are you going to position yourself, your skills or code provenance differently? I think that's a strategy that's going to be to be determined. Okay. In other words, that's something that the, the, the coach that I've engaged, it's something that they brought up and said, this is one thing that we're going to have to develop. It's part of the overall strategy of figuring out who is a good customer and then what's the best way to get, get those customers. Uh, and to be honest, I don't really know right at this moment. I haven't perfected that. 
I've gotten some what I, I think the coach terms friendlies as far as like people that if I asked for a recommendation, they, they would give it. They've enjoyed the work that I've done and they would work with me again. Um, I don't know whether or not they're going to make ideal customers in the future. Um, but it's like I'm not real sure. I'm not real sure who my ideal customer is going to be yet. Yeah. But I think in order for me to move forward and get a lot better at this, I'm going to have to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. I think that's like going into a golf tech and actually practicing <laughs> twice a week. Yes. That's, that's the way I feel about it. Well, cool. I think that's a good conversation. I enjoyed having it with you. I yeah, me too. To the next one. Once again, you've been listening to Reflection as a Service. I'm Paul Merrill. I'm here with James Jeffers. I'm at D. Paul Merrill on Twitter. James is at J.D. Jeffers on Twitter. Um, anything you want to leave us with, James? I think... I think it's already got a pretty bow on it. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us, and we look forward to hearing from you next time. We're going to have some guests on pretty soon. I have several entrepreneurs I want to bring in. There are a couple of software engineers I want to bring in as well, and, or people in software engineering that I think would be really fun to talk to. So uh, stick with us. There are great things coming, and we really, uh, look, we're really looking forward to it. I'm energized about the podcast more now than I think I have been ever before. I think this thing is really kicking off. I'm enjoying it, and uh, hopefully folks are learning. I, I, I know I am. Alrighty. Well, I'll see you later, Paul. Later.